Yeah. So we've got distractions going on right now, so if you're distracted, I get it. But we talked, we sang earlier about love, the power of God's love, and there was one line in there that we sang. It talked about being close by Jesus' side. I hope, I'm hoping that you will understand the emphasis of love that is required from us as we approach God's word today. And anything that we know of love, we have only learned from God because God first loved us. And if I can borrow a picture from the Psalms, there's a, I'm borrowing a picture from a different sermonette, and that is for us to be studying God's word daily, studying God's word throughout our life. There is never a time when you have it all covered regarding God's word, okay? You all, it's like a tree planted by the water. That's the picture I want you to grab. And so imagine yourself a tree by the water, and if you stop that flowing of the water, the intake of God's word, then you are not going to be healthy. And I want to borrow that for the picture of God's love because in order for you to express God's love to people around us, you not only had to have experienced God's love one time when you became a Christian, but you need to be continually understanding God's love and how he's displaying it to you. Seeing you and seeing that he chooses to love you, even in all of your faults. And praise God for that. And so that picture of us being close by Jesus' side, the power of his love we can understand, and we're to show it to others. And one of the main things that we need to understand from that is that we are going to be able to show others God's love as we are continually learning it ourselves. All right, let me pray and ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we would ask for your clear involvement in this time as uh, just about most of what we've done has been leading us to this point. And the time in God's word is a blessing to me and I would pray it would be a blessing to others, but more than just a blessing, that it would change us so that the time we have here in this world, we could use it in a way that will last for all eternity. Thank you for the words of your son, Jesus, that we will study today. And it's in his name we pray, amen. I think it's probably fair to say that most of us don't like being in a conversation and looking ignorant or looking stupid, all right? I'm not meaning to offend anybody by that word stupid, but it's, it's just common that we will get into a conversation with someone about something that we really don't know much about. I find myself in this situation when I need to make some kind of an update or have some work done on my car, and I'll be talking to someone who is an expert, and they will, as an expert, expert, use some words that I don't understand. And just for full disclosure, I'll let you know, if I'm getting three or four different quotes on something, my first conversation I have sounds very different from the last conversation I have. Because the first guy I talk to, he'll ask me questions about some part of the car that I don't know what that is. And he'll mention a term. And he'll say, well, you're going to want to pay attention to this. So when I have that third or fourth conversation getting a quote, I really sound like I know what I'm talking about. I can use those words. I can Google them really quick. And that way they're not going to, you know, pull one over on me. I think that we as Christians, some fall into somewhat of that category sometimes. Because if you're like me, you might be terrified sometimes of getting into a religious conversation, a Bible conversation, and you don't know the answer. 
or you're not sure what that, uh, what that teaching is. And so we get insecure, so we've learned to do a few things when we're having that conversation with people. Oftentimes, we will do the head nod. You know what I'm talking about? Someone's talking to you, and you're not really understanding. It's going over your head, but it's not really lying if you just nod your head and smile. You're sending a message, but they don't really know what's going on inside. Sometimes we can add to the head nod. Sometimes we could do the affirmative grunt with the head nod, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a responsibility as, as followers of Jesus Christ, and he has made us stewards of this book. You have a responsibility to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so let me go ahead and give us three categories when we're in conversations. Sometimes we'll know the answer right away. Sometimes we're not quite sure. And sometimes we really are confused. So sometimes someone will say something and they'll say, yeah, this is in the Bible, isn't it? You know, I just saw a program on television recently and there were these religious people. They were quoting about the Ten Commandments and they quoted the wrong ones. This one's the first commandment. No, that's the third commandment. And I thought, they're all wrong. And I think that was the point they were trying to make in that program. But sometimes someone might say something like, well, it's in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's right there in the Bible, right? Now, most of you are going to say, no, it's not. That one, if you've been around for a while, if you've read through the Bible, you have not come across that because some of you parents would write that on your children's wall if it was genuinely in the Bible. We love tagging Bible verses onto it. Not in the Bible. All right, I'm going to get a little trickier. Be careful how you nod your head or grunt. How about this one? Do unto others as they have done to you. Don't answer too quick. (laughs) Trick question. I mentioned that one time and someone said that's the golden rule. That is not the golden rule. (laughs) The golden golden rule is not do unto others as they have, as much as you might want that. Jesus did not say that in Matthew chapter 7. What did Jesus say? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And then, how about this one here? Grunt and nod if this one's in the Bible. Judge not lest you be judged. Mm Mm-hmm. It's right there. But as, as, as far as our responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth, I want you to have a handle on what this means. This is the third time that we're coming back to the same text and saying what Je- talking about what Jesus said because you need, to gr- you need to nod your head and grunt yes, but I'm expecting you as students of God's word to know what Jesus meant because the vast majority of the time when someone outside of church says judge not lest you be judged, I want to suggest to you that they are not teaching what Jesus was teaching. That is not the spirit of what we had in mind, of what Jesus had in mind. What we'll see in God's word today is that helping others with their biggest problem, helping others outside of the church with their biggest problem, and that is the problem of sin, is going to require you and I to be constantly reminding ourselves of how we got help with our problem of sin. And it's nice because 
um, when we think of our forgiveness and think of God's love, there is no doubt that we have been forgiven, but sometimes we get to the point where we forget that we were originally a wretch. We were born separated from God. And so if we're going to help others with their biggest problem, and that is sin, we need to constantly remind ourselves of our biggest problem and how we were helped, and that was helped by God's forgiveness. Now, this is the third of three messages on this, and I'm fairly confident that we're going to be done with this section. I do hope that, you are, that you're comfortable talking about this with people that would say, and by the way, sometimes they're animated when they say it, judge not lest ye be judged. I was reminded of that this past week. I had somebody at my dinner table a couple of years ago. We were talking about something, and they said something that, that maybe was my responsibility, and I should change this, and I didn't even think about it. It just was a knee-jerk response. Immediately, my finger went out like this, and I said, you should do something about that, just like this. Now, we're still friends. It was a response. And oftentimes... When you are doing something that will make an unbeliever feel judged, their finger will come out and they will quote, judge not lest ye be judged. Now before we get to that aspect there of someone who is outside of the body of Christ, let me just give a quick summary of the last two things we talked about. And if you were not here last week or the week before, let me point you to the website. Go back and listen. Um, Hopefully these will be as much a help to you as they've been to me. The first time we talked about this passage, we talked about judging people within our local church. And I'm not going to preach the whole sermon again. I'm just going to let you know that we have been commanded by God to judge those within our local assembly for the purity of the assembly. But very much we need to remember that the reason is is because if someone's coming to our assembly, every one of us is still a sinner All of us are prone to turning to sin and we need a church family to help hold us accountable. We need groups among this church assembly where if someone's not here for a while, somebody gives them a call. If someone falls off the radar, people are praying for them. If someone is choosing to sin and we define that by what's in God's word, a Bible basis, then we call them on that because if we genuinely love them, here's this love theme that's going to come up repeatedly today. If we genuinely love them, we're not going to allow them to continue in a place where they are distant from God. The second thing that we talked about was how we apply judgment to Christians who are not in our local church. What do I do there? What option has God given me to deal with Christians who have accepted Jesus Christ by faith and yet they've done something to offend me? I know what to do if they're in my church. Matthew 18 has given us that recipe. Go to them, confront them. If they don't repent of their sin, of the offense, you go with a brother. If they don't repent, then you go before the church and there can be church discipline involved. But if they're not in my local church... We don't have a universal church discipline, just a local church discipline. So if they're not in my local church, how do I deal with that? We gave these three standards for um, measuring someone to see if they are a follower of Christ. Correct the, you need to have a correct understanding of salvation, a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is and his work, and a correct understanding of the Bible. That's what we talked about last time. 
And besides that, if they're not part of your local church, if they agree with those three things, you need to be cheering them on. Cheer them on. Don't judge them. Let me just tell you something that I say nearly, nearly twice a month. Don't hope our local church gets bigger from somebody else's local church getting smaller if they believe these truths. Pray for their growth. Whatever specific um, route they have, pray for them to have good success in that and that folks will be coming to Christ and that Christians would be growing. That's a couple foundational truths that we need to see. All right, today, applying judging to those outside of the body of Christ. After today, I hope you're armed with a good understanding of the words, judge not lest ye be judged. But let me go ahead and talk about that question. What does it mean when a person not in church tells you, do not judge me? What does that mean? If somebody says, do not judge me, what are they talking about? Well, many of you, you don't need me to tell you, right? You know what that is. You know what it is to be judged because you've had someone judging you. When someone outside of a, of, of a Christian faith is being judged, they are saying, don't criticize me because I'm different than you. Don't criticize me because of what I wear, what's on my body. Don't criticize me because of choices that I've made when I was young. They are saying, don't compare me. Don't compare me with you because you don't know what road I've had to go down to get to this point in my life. They're also saying, you don't have any right to confront me about anything. When we talk about people who don't know Christ, this is what they're saying when they say, judge not, lest ye be judged. And just for us here today, let me just, let us, let me just inform us that it's, it's kind of a fair thing for them to say for this reason. Religious people, Christians, are some of the worst at judging. Now, really, it doesn't matter what the religion. That's true. But even in the Christian faith, we need to be very careful not to put ourselves up high because pride goes before a fall. And if we think that we are not responsible for judging others that are different than us, you know, and the easy, quick application is is us trying to clean up somebody's life before they know Jesus Christ. Don't tell somebody to stop their smoking and stop their drinking and stop their cussing and all that other stuff that you don't care for if they don't know Jesus Christ. Give them Christ. Your main business is to express to them the love that God showed to you one day. There's a couple reasons why religious people like to judge. We'll camp on this for a little bit before we actually jump into Matthew chapter 7. One reason is because believers like to judge because, honestly, we're jealous sometimes. Some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? I'm not jealous of unsaved people. Well, let's talk through this just for a second. Some of us judge others because I judge that what you are doing is wrong. I know what God said in his word. And as I observe you... It looks like you're having fun. It looks like, well, and here's the, here's the deep teaching. Are you ready for the lesson? We don't trust that God is doing what is right by allowing them to have fun in their sin. And so I've summarized it by saying we're a little bit jealous of them. 
Boy, you should be glad I'm not God. There'd be some lightning bolts going down there getting you. But let me remind us that we need to go back and remember what we were. We judge oftentimes because we're a little bit jealous. They are sinning. And is sin, don't answer too fast, is sin fun? Sin, yes, is fun, the Bible says, for a what? Season. You need to trust God. Even if it seems like they are laughing their way all throughout their 80 or 90 years, all the way to their grave without giving one word to God. You need to trust that God is right and not be jealous of them. You do what is right no matter what and then you trust God that he will bring glory to himself. The second reason oftentimes that religious people, even Christians, are judgy is because believers judge unbelievers based on us forgetting what we once were. I want to ask you to look for something in songs in the future. I want to ask you to look for some kind of a line that talks about what you once were, like an amazing grace when it says, when it says amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. There's one popular and, and wonderful uh, radio program that's out west, and it's called Wretched. And they named their show Wretched because of that word in that song. Too many of us have forgotten that you stood as an enemy of God before his amazing grace was applied in your life. Let me read from what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And there's a big laundry list here of sins, but I want you to pay attention right after he gets done with that list as to what he says. And then if you can bring that action back of pointing the finger, maybe you're going to have to point it right to yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 starting in verse 9, says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And were, and such were some of you. When God saved you, he has not given you your ultimate perfection yet your 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 um, sanctification you still sin there are some things about us here in this world that are just not that great still and so god has to continually remind us of the love that he's shown to us and when we forget about that when we forget about what we once were then it is very easy for us to judge others all right is there anything that Jesus teaches that can help us with this? All that to bring us to Matthew 7. We'll go a little bit faster now. Matthew chapter 7, please, in your Bibles, if you're not already there. We're going to go through the first five verses again. Starting in verse 1 of Matthew 7, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we've already referenced this in our study. What Jesus is saying here is, is that the judgment that you use is going to come back on you. Understand what this means. Because I'm going to let you know right now, the Bible does not teach that we should not have some form of judgment on those outside the body of Christ. Please don't turn me off right now because if you stop right there, you're going to be a little bit confused. There is a judgment that does need to apply. Jesus is saying that the judgment that you use is going to come back on you. Does that make you nervous? Does that make you scared to think that the way you look upon others, that's the way you're going to be judged? We're going to be approaching Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And so when I say that we have a responsibility to apply judgment to those outside the body of Christ, let's go ahead and tie it to verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Let's get super real here just for a second. If you live in a neighborhood or you have coworkers and you have known them for years and you might even call yourselves friends and you have not done to them as you would have them do to you. Let's say you were ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ and on your way to hell. And if you have not practiced the golden rule, if you have not done unto them like they would have them do to you, then if they had this stewardship of the gospel, imagine if, they call, if you called them a friend that they never once told you about Jesus. They never once said, would you come to my church? They never once said, if you ever have any questions about the Bible, I read the Bible. I'm happy to talk to you about it. Imagine a neighbor never once saying, I'd like to pray for you in this situation. I'm a person that prays, and I can pray for you. You see, what those things are, are those are opportunities that will make someone think. When they are searching for the answers of life after death, when they are searching for the answers of the questions of, is there purpose in my life? When they're searching, and everybody comes to that point where they search, We understand that when they come to that point that they are going to be going to someone who knows Jesus Christ at a minimum, at a minimum, let them know that you go to church. And there's so many ways that we can do this. I approached someone not too long ago that had a cross right on their necklace and that was an open door. Found out a little bit of their background as far as where they went to church. And I've talked to them a couple times since then. All right, let's go on. Verse number three says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? Pause. We've already talked through this, but here's something I didn't mention earlier. This is kind of the part of the teaching that we like because it kind of confirms what I thought. I, I kind of was guessing there's something wrong with that lady, right? I was, I, was suspic- I was suspecting that there's something wrong with that man. And so when Jesus says this, it's a confirmation. Yes, there, there's something wrong with them, and I can, I can see it. They've got a little speck in their eye. We like that. Makes us feel a little bit better because they do have a problem, and we saw that. But he doesn't stop there. Second part of verse 3 but do not notice the log in your own eye. And that's that cartoonish picture that we talked about of being trying to help somebody else when we've got a huge 
obstacle in our own eye. Verse 4, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your brother's eye when there is a log in your own eye? Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of, of a defense here. If someone that is not a Christian uses those words, judge not lest you be judged. Because what they're going to do is they're going to throw out a red herring. All right? A red herring. Now, for some of you younger folks who don't use old-time terminology like red herring, a red herring is this. It is any diversion intended to distract from the main issue. That's what a red herring is. Any diversion that is to distract you from the main issue. So if someone senses that you are judging them, maybe you're talking to them about church or about the Bible or about eternity. If they sense that you are judging them and they quote this verse that Jesus quoted, you need to nod your head and grunt, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, judge not lest you be judged. That is in the Bible. But let's walk through those six verses that Jesus was talking about there. And then let's go to verse number 12. Do to others as you would have them do to you. They're going to give you this red herring. Here's how they are going to define judge not lest you be judged. Are you ready? This also applies a little bit to the other two, people in our church, Christians outside of our church. But let's focus right now on on unbelievers. They're going to throw this red herring out there. They're going to say what Jesus is saying there is mind your own business. You take care of you, I'll take care of me, mind your own business. And I don't want you to, to, to stop your efforts that are based on love if you hear that. Because look at verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then, and I've got these next words underlined. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is what Christ is teaching. Because we see multiple applications from this. Let me just ask. Is it, is it a good thing, is it a positive thing to get that log out of your own eye? Is that a good thing, yes or no? Shake your heads, yes or no. Yeah. Do I want to get that log out of my own eye so I'm not a hypocrite? Yeah, I want to do that. But Jesus does not stop with the benefit that, congratulations, you got the log out of your own eye. Now you're done. In fact, it looks like Jesus is giving us a list here, doesn't it? First, take the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to help that one with the speck in his eye. Christianity does not stop with you and your conversion. It is supposed to be that you experience the love of God and you pour it out. And I have to constantly repent. I have to constantly ask for forgiveness. I have to constantly battle with the devil. But when we are doing that, our our progressive sanctification, when we are doing that, it is then that we can come and we can help someone else out who has a problem. 
Verse number three, the first half, says they have a speck in their, own, in their eye. They have a problem. And so a practical lesson for us, just look at this wording here, a practical lesson for us. Take the plank out of your own eye in preparation for removing the speck for your, from your brother's eye. It's a good application. Take the plank out of your own eye in preparation to help someone else. And when I am sizing up somebody else's sin, it should remind me of my own. And if we can get real, how is it that I want to be judged? Well, honestly, I want to be judged not, I guess. But if someone, is, if someone in my church family is going to judge me and help me to be growing, and I need that, as do you, and that's a deeper part of fellowship, If they're going to judge me, I want them to judge me with mercy. So when you judge someone, and you need to, you judge them with mercy. Maybe you have gone down a similar road, so you're not going to be too quick to insult, too quick to say, get over it, too quick to judge them harshly. Or perhaps they're that person who doesn't know Christ, their encounter is with a Christian who has nothing of their history, knowledge, understanding. You will talk, listen to me, the longer I'm alive, the more I realize this. We are all broken people and you have a story and the one next to you has a story that are the things that books are made out of. We don't have to make this stuff up. We are walking around hurt and broken. And so just when you approach someone and that judgment is going to apply because you're going to do unto them as you would have them do to you, if you did not know about salvation, you would want them to tell you about salvation. But when there's any judgment that would come, it is done with mercy. You might not understand their plight. You might not have walked in their shoes before. But here's what you can do. You can, see, you can say this, there is no sin, there is no individual who has been in a place ever where God could not save them. Anyone you talk to, and maybe you like me have had someone say, well, you don't know what I've done before. You don't know the sins I've committed. And this is why God continually points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that blood was sufficient to cover yours and to cover theirs. It's not a merit system. doesn't matter what family they were born in. doesn't matter what they have done. And you need to judge with mercy. So when they say, mind your own business, I do not want you to think that Jesus says you can leave them alone. Do not be content to leave them alone because brothers and sisters in Christ, in case you have not caught it yet, that is your business. Whatever you've got to do, be faithful. Give out the gospel in some way. Develop those relationships. If you're one that can strike up a conversation and share a gospel, if you've got the tracks, we've got great tracks to give out. Whatever it is, it is, whatever way you do it, it is your business. 
We must remind ourselves that following Jesus did not stop with what's in it for me. You got salvation? Praise the Lord, sing about it, and praise him. But that's not good enough. You can't stop there. Jesus commands us here in Matthew 7 to address our own junk so that we can help others with their junk. That all leads us to John chapter 13. We're not going to turn there. It's just where Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. So judge not does not equate to love not. And judge not does not equate to care not. All right, what can you do? I'm just going to give a little highlight from all three of these messages for us to take away. Hopefully you'll find a specific one. Number one, commit to having relationships with people in your church where you can be on the giving and receiving end of correction. That sounds tough, but around here we talk about worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. That fellowship is not just getting together for a lunch. That means you're investing in them. That means when they, just like when your own children are going the wrong way, you will correct them because you love them. And also you're putting yourself in a place where you can be corrected. Does anybody here like to be corrected? Man, some of you are super mature in Christ. I get that. And you've read Proverbs where it says, be open to correction, be open to correction, be open to correction. So you might say, yeah, I like being corrected, but I'm gonna look at your face next time I'm correcting you. And I'm gonna see, do you really like being corrected. And yet we need to put ourselves in a place in our local church family where we can help others and they can help us. The second application, cheering, commit to cheering on Christians outside of your church as long as they have similar goals about salvation, the preeminence of Christ, and the importance of the Bible. If you do not know what those are, study what those are. Come to me, I'm happy to give you some literature or talk with you about that. And then finally, commit to caring for the lost. This is going to involve helping them with their biggest problem, which is sin. As you are reminded, continually, remember that, remember that, that river flowing by the tree? You're continually reminded of God's love because you continually see God's love. Not just one day when you prayed a prayer, not just when you got saved, but continually your love is growing. And when you see that, you will be able to help someone else. And the underlying theme for all of these, helping a brother and sister in my church, helping a brother or sister outside my church, giving out the gospel, being faithful to spread the seeds of the gospel and trusting God that he will do something with it. But I do my part and then I trust him. Underneath all three of those, there has to be a reflex. Many of you are familiar with being in the doctor's office, and you're familiar when they take out this little tiny hammer, right? The small hammer, and you're sitting on the table, and they take the hammer, and they tap you on this knee. And some of you are surprised when all of a sudden your, your, your foot pops up in the air. Your patella reflex, right? And some of us are surprised when we see that. Listen to me, brothers and sisters, when someone in your church or outside your church or outside of the family of Christ says, judge not, if you are not having a reflex of love right away, then they have some ground to stand on by saying, don't judge me. 
We must judge ourselves first. We understand that it is only by the grace of God that you are in the place where you are at. That God is using you for something. That love has to be our reflex. And then we are obedient in judging and mercy based on God's word in a way that will make a difference for all eternity. And that's the opportunity you have. You have the opportunity to do something that will last forever. Let's pray. Father, as we look to you, we praise you that you are a judge and we praise you, Heavenly Father, that you have judged your sons and your daughters not based on how good we live, not based on our family, not based on the least amount of mistakes that a person has made, but you have looked upon me and you have judged Jeremy Lazelle only based, solely based on the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And I praise you this day for that. I look forward to being in heaven and seeing Jesus face to face. But until then, my heart will go on singing. And until then, I will understand that this is not to stop with me. Jesus Christ addressed these hypocrites who were judging without love and without mercy. And would you allow me, would you allow us as a church family to judge, to help others in a way that you would have us to, with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to give you a chance to pray as we often do. First of all, if you are here today and you have never had the assurance that you are a child of God, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world and all you have to do is acknowledge that you are a sinner and that Christ's sacrifice, his shed blood, paid for your sins and ask him to forgive you. The Bible says he is faithful to do it. This day can be the day of your salvation. All you need to do is pray. If you're not sure what to say, just start thinking, just start moving your lips quietly and pray. I promise you, if God is pulling you towards him, you will not be lost. For others, there were multiple applications. There used to be signs in some churches over the door when we'd walk out that used to say, you are now entering the mission field. And we can put that up near our doors. But recently, as I was going through my community, I was walking into a place of business and I asked myself the question, okay, where is my mission field in here? When I was walking through my neighborhood, where is my mission field in this place? And ask God to open your eyes, open those doors, And don't lead with I'm judging you, but lead with I have found something that everyone that I know needs to hear about and needs in their life. Would you pray that God would lay a soul on your heart? Amen.